Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program. Ladies, gentlemen, and fellow activists out there in 3CR Community Radio Land, it's good to have your company here again on a Saturday. We've got a full voice and um, a full year to recap. Also, of course, we have our, as we do every week, because Jane's here, we have our press release entitled Elite Schools Arms Rates Go Nuclear. But on top of that, we have a wonderful good news story from up in Martin Place in Sydney when the students went on strike a few weeks ago. Absolutely brilliant. We also have a wrap-up of all the education news for 2018 as we go into 2019 because as Trevor Cobalt says, a great friend of the Dogs Program up at Save Our Schools in Canberra, um, the fight is long but hope is longer. In fact, I think hope is stronger. I think from the point of us here at the Dogs, we've been fighting for decades to support education for the children of Australia, that is state education, that is public education, that is education that is free, that is education that is universal, and that's education that's secular, offensive to none. Um, that's what we support, and that's what neither political party at either federal or state level seems to be interested in articulating at all. And so we have to be here on 3CR to defend government schools. We are the DOGS, Defenders of government schools. As I said, coming up in the program, we've got good news stories. We've got interesting press releases from Jean. Um, we also have a, a wrap-up of what's gone on through the year. And, of course, we finish um, with a great state school. And the great state school for this week, I'll keep it as a surprise, but it's a school that has done not just well, but extraordinarily well in what they call these days the, the VCE, the VCE merely, where everyone sort of jumps around and talks about the VCE. Um, one school in particular in rural Victoria has done so well, and it's a state school, that it's considered to be a miracle. It's just a normal box standard state school that it has literally topped the charts, been brilliant out there in country Victoria. And whenever state school kids do well, and that, that is to say they go to a school that's free, secular and it's universal in its values, um, when kids in a school like that do well, everyone calls it a miracle. I think it's amazing. But we'll be coming to that excellent news later in the program. Um, with our great state school segment that we have here every week. But without further ado, I think we should kick off, as we do whenever Jean's around and not off doing researches, uh, we'll kick off with Jean's press release. Press release 776, up on our website at www.adogs.info. The result of half a century of needs policies, elite schools arms race goes nuclear. State aid to private schools was justified under a Labor Party needs policy in 1973. Whitlam, like Menzies before him, who had introduced state aid in 1964, 
was after the Catholic vote. From the beginning, the wealthy schools demanded funding for their peculiar needs, even when they had Olympic standard swimming pools. Listeners, I know this um, from personal experience because I was on a demonstration at the Waverley College in Sydney when we said that we wanted to have a swim in the Waverley College. Uh, I think it was the Maris Brothers or the Christian Brothers Olympic swimming pool because the Bondi swimming pools were all closed to the public at that time. That was 1969. Now, 50 years later, the needs of the wealthy elite schools must be catered for before those of any disadvantaged public school that is without basic facilities. From the very beginning, needs policies under Lib Lab governments have been gamed shamelessly by the private religious sector, leading to ever-growing social inequality and empty churches. The rhetoric of the various needs policies and the stark realities are escalating exponentially. Pity Gonski, in his Academic Inequalities Hothouse at the University of New South Wales. In one of the time-honoured media rituals exposing the glaring, glaring inequalities in our education system, the extravagant building plans for seven elite Sydney schools were revealed in the Sun-Herald during 2008. The public were informed that seven schools were planning to spend a combined total of more than $365 million on new facilities and school redevelopments. And they found this out, the person who wrote this article back in 2018 found it out by looking at the development applications currently waiting for approval from the New South Wales Department of Planning and Environment. Scots College in Sydney's East submitted plans for a 25.1 million major upgrade of its library building, including a complete recladding of the exterior in a Scottish baronial architectural style, complete with castellations, a tower, a turret and a grand bay windows. So they obviously think that they are educating the lairds. Uh, those lairds, of course, were the people who enclosed uh, the, the land and gave you the highland clearances. Loretto Kirribilli has submitted plans for a 103.3 million staged redevelopment of the school, which included a new five-storey innovation centre, an outdoor rooftop learning terrace and two vertical connection pods. Cranbrook's 75 million redevelopment plan included a new aquatic recreation centre, a drama theatre, teaching terraces and new academic and liberal arts facilities, while Skeggs in Darlinghurst's 48.7 million plan included a new six-storey multi-purpose building, possibly with new swimming facilities. St Catherine's School which, by the way, I think, I think Dame, Dame uh, Sutherland was, uh, went to uh, this St Catherine's School, 
I can remember a lovely protest we had there too. Uh, well, this school has submitted modifications to its previously approved 62.5 million redevelopment, which still includes an orchestra pit, a ballet studio, a play box theatre and a new aquatic centre. St Aloysius College was also planning a major redevelopment, including a new sports facility and extensions of its Great Hall, Chapel and existing learning facilities. The plan did not provide an exact value, but is likely to cost over $30 million. Loretto in Normanhurst was planning to construct a number of new buildings and a bush chapel, a bush chapel in Sydney. How interesting. And increase its student cap from 1,150 students to 2,000, with costs expected to exceed $20 million. million. Chris Bonner, who's a retired secondary public school principal from the Centre for Policy Development, on the 27th of December 2018, just a week or so ago, referred to this particular spending spree as the elite arms race going nuclear. But what is of most interest in his article, which is published on the website of John Menadue's Pearls and Irritations, is his questioning of state aid to wealthy schools and his suggestion that this should be reallocated to the public sector. Well, the dogs, of course, think that doesn't go far enough. The dogs are against any money being given to any religious or private schools. But the... A nuclear arms race uh, in facilities of these particular elite wealthy schools is just becoming more of a national disgrace every year. Well, he writes this. In total, the additional recurrent funding of non-government schools over government schools was around $5 billion in 2015 around $3 billion of which was provided by the governments. If reallocated, even a portion of this $3 billion would provide extra for schools where the investment would make a measurable difference. There is an abundance of research which shows that, subject to targeting and strict accountability, additional investment in disadvantaged schools is an investment with real achievement dividends. There are a host of questions arising as a consequence of overspend on so many of Australia's school students. If a black hole is a place where things disappear without leaving much of a known trace, then it seems an apt description of these schools and the money that they receive. To what extent should public funding be allowed to contribute to this problem? Many politicians and commentators wring their hands over the amounts going into schools for little apparent return. In this context, the questionable priorities of governments have created a very big part of this problem. In the past, such concern about elite schools was written off by some as the politics of envy. The unearned status of these schools and the funding they received is really the politics of absurdity. Now, what Chris Bonner has to say, it all smacks of common sense. 
But if he goes back to 1973, he will discover that needs policies have always been studies in rhetorical ambiguity open to the bottom of the schoolyard schemes. When, in 1973, the Carmel Committee suggested cutting public funds to wealthy Class A schools, there was a very big outcry from those schools. These schools were swiftly reclassified and downgraded or upgraded, depending on your point of view, by the then Minister for Education. They suddenly became very needy. Politicians, oh yes, the Minister for Education in those days was Kim Beasley, the father of the current Kim Beasley. Politicians of all persuasions decided to throw public money into the unholy alliance between the Catholic and Protestant sector schools. And public school representatives were easier to deal with than screaming elite school parents. They were very quietly duchessed and put on schools commission and some funds for a few years in the 1970s went into badly disadvantaged public schools. For example, Joan Kerner's meteoric, meteoric political career started in the Victorian parents' groups and she rose very high to the um, Premier of Victoria in the early 90s. By 1978, with Peter Tannock as head of the Schools Commission, any real semblance of a needs policy was gone. Peter Tannock, by the way, was later knighted by the Pope for his um, activities on behalf of the Catholic schools and um, tertiary sector in Australia. By 1984... The public school representatives on the Schools Commission wrote dissenting reports, so the days of the Schools Commission were numbered. It had been there to quieten the state aid debate. In the years of the Howard government, it became official, however, that private schools were in the federal government's DNA and their needs took precedence always over public schools. Because now the unwritten educational policy in Australia is the public sector must always be the poor relation. Under Gillard, in 2011, Gonski, a rather sensible businessman who calls himself a courtier in the political power game, uh, and he has philanthropic aspirations also, he was flabbergasted by the levels of inequity that he found in the real world of Australian education funding. He tried again, as Carmel had done, to bring some sense of reality and balance into the Australian educational landscape. But he too had political terms of reference to fulfil. No school was to lose a dollar, and he had to be sector blind. He was back to square one, for in 1973 the pattern had been set by the Labor Party. And listeners, in 2019, 
the Labor Party is in no way offering a solution to the perennial school funding problem. It was a problem, however, that was solved in the 19th century by our colonial forebears. No state aid for private schools. But this was opened up by the Menzies and Whitlam governments in the 1960s and 70s. The only way to educate all Australian children is to have adequate public funding of schools that are public in purpose and outcome, public in access, public in ownership and control, and public in accountability. Private schools never have, never do, and never will do any of this. Diverting public money from public to private schools has been and is disastrous educational policy. And if we wish to have genuinely independent schools, then our elite private schools should give back every dollar they receive in public funding. Chris Bonner and other public school advocates are outraged by the methods employed by Australian religious and social elites to manipulate the largesse of the public treasury for the advancement of the young, but they are not yet to the point of taking a firm, principled stand on education funding. While ever public money is available to the private religious sector, they will gain the system. The needs policies of the last half century may have been well-intentioned, but the pathway to hell, as we all know, is paved with good intentions. Private schools have proved that they cannot be trusted with expenditure of public money. Above all, they cannot be trusted with the education of our Australian children. The way forward is PAC. State aid should be withdrawn from schools that are not freely accessible to every Australian child and offensive to none. The accessibility to both students and teachers should be without fear, favour or entrance requirements of any sort. Australian children need a well-funded public education system, not an elitist, divisive private religious system intent on gaming a needs policy, however well-intentioned that policy might be. So that's our press release for today and we'll have a bit of a rest from my voice and have some music.
Have you ever wondered about the meaning of the terms identity politics, intersectionality, turf, or institutional racism? Same here. This summer, Tuesday Breakfast is going back to school to answer these questions and more. Join us as we learn from experts, academics, writers, activists, and people with lived experiences to share their knowledge on decolonization, sovereignty and self-determination, race and identity, sexuality and gender, and disability and accessibility. Knowledge shouldn't be locked away at a university, so let us bring it to you. Tune into Summer School, Tuesday mornings from 7am, starting the 8th of January, 855am or via 3cr.org.au. And check out our Instagram, 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, for more details. Rap with Young Philly, Sing with Fia, Breathe with Avi Misra, Yodel with Sue Hart, and much, much more at the What Singers Festival, January 11 to 13 at the Abbotsford Convent. Go to what.com.au for more info or ring 9417-1983. A 3CR supporter. Yes, well, let's be a little bit positive here about our young people. I don't know about you listeners, but I'm very, very proud of the young people who are coming out of our schools. Uh, They seem to understand so much about the world that they are living in and um, what is going to happen. Those of us who've been fighting for our causes have been thinking about the next generation and those of us who are now older and realise that we had had a good or did we have a good uh, that the young people are coming into a world which is not as uh, fortuitous for them as we had. And this is of great concern to us. But they have lots of guts, these young people. And uh, we're going to read a, an article for you, written by one of them, by a young man who's a university student. Dale's going to tell you what he thought of the young people who came out on the issue of climate change. Thanks, Jean. Now, I've got an article here from The Guardian, uh, from Naman Shu, and it's entitled, The School Climate Strike Was a New Generation's Activism, and I'm So Proud. The kids couldn't believe it. The adults couldn't believe it. Martin Place hadn't seen anything like it for years. Ellie and her sister had never seen anything like it, ever. Ellie, who's 14, and Aidan who's 10, had come thinking the strike would be a small thing. Ellie said she didn't know many people from her school who were coming. She found a thousand others. On Friday, in a crowded Martin Place, the chants went up and I've never felt prouder. This week, thousands of students in every state walked out of school to protest inaction over climate change and the sense that their future is being frittered away. They had the signs, the statistics, the anger and the solutions too. I looked around and I felt I had seen the future, clever and full of passion. I count myself as nearly of the same same generation as the strikers. I'm six years out of high school, nearly graduated from university, but I've never seen a protest like this. 
I came in with cynicism. In the exact spot, I'd seen so many protests wither on the vine, outnumbered by food court patrons. University students like to think that they are the epicentre of social change, or at least they were in the heyday of the 70s. But on Friday in Sydney, all you could hear in the CBD were the school kids, and in Melbourne, they stopped the traffic at 1pm on a school day. Activism seems to have skipped a generation, and I couldn't be happier. In Sydney, Jean Hinchcliffe, 14, had the stage and took the role in a way. She asked, who here was in primary school? Who was in high school? Who was from Western Sydney? Who had travelled from the bush? Who wanted their politicians to do way more about climate change? The roar sent the microphones screaming into static and camera operators winced with their headphones on. Scott Morrison had told them not to gather and that only made them feel better about doing it. Finally, something the politicians couldn't control. That was the theme of the day, the frustration of feeling powerless. You have failed us all so terribly, said Nozrak Farcher, 15, from Auburn Girls High School. We deserve better. Young people can't even vote, but will have to live with the consequences of your inactions for decades. Morrison was mentioned by every speaker and booed every time. How much he must regret that throwaway line in question time that kids should go to school and be less activist and the electoral harm it threatens to cause in a few years. It was so easily turned around and the irony obvious to all. If Scott Morrison wants children to stop acting like a parliament, then maybe the parliament should stop acting like children, said Manjot Kaur, 17. It was an articulate anger, and the speakers made sure to say that they had the solutions too, not just the doom and gloom. There was music and happiness. They sang Stand By Me, and everyone knew the words, an old-school activist vibe to make anyone dewy-eyed. One girl said to another, Oh, I should have put you up on my shoulders for that, and then did on the next song. Here's to us, said Faria, the generation that can't wait until it's too late. There will inevitably be blowback from the right-wing commentariat and the politicians themselves that these young activists have been whipped into a false frenzy. But that's not what this was. It was a hesitant, cautious embrace of something long overdue. When I say student, you say power, Hinchcliffe shouted. They did, and it felt like a sense of self-actualisation, hundreds looking around and thinking, yes, everyone is actually really saying it too. Maybe it's true. The call and response came up and down Martin Place in waves, swimming long laps. They were clutching their ears. It was so loud. Oh, Dale, that's wonderful to hear. I mean, education, that's what it's all about. I mean, if people have something to say and the young children have something to say, then they have every right to say it, politicians or otherwise. It's the essence, the fundamentals of democracy. If I were a politician, if I were Morrison, I'd be out there recruiting for the Liberal Party saying, if you want to have a voice, join our party. Um, obviously, that's not the way they viewed it. Well, it's a nice way to sort of finish the year, isn't it, on up, with all the, all the news that we've been talking about over, over the over the year, um, we'll be coming out to that summary that I promised you earlier, just after these messages. Hi, it's Joe here from Music Matters, just letting you know that as part of summer programming, I'll be doing a two-part special compilation of artists that have come into 3CR to perform live for Music Matters. Tune in from 12 noon to 2pm on Friday, December 21st and Friday, January 4th. 
lest we forget. Join us to commemorate the 177th anniversary of the execution of the two Indigenous freedom fighters, Tanaminaway and Morbohina, at the Tanaminaway and Morbohina Monument at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street, Melbourne, at midday on Sunday, the 20th of January 2019. Walk with us after the ceremony to the Queen Victoria markets to their last resting place. Please bring flowers. The first hour of the ceremony will be broadcast live by Community Radio 3CR. If you can't join us for the ceremony, listen in to 3CR midday to 1pm on Sunday the 20th of June. Hi, I'm Jeff Tobin from Jazz on a Saturday, which is presented by the Victorian Jazz Club every week here on Community Radio 3CR. During the month of January, on Wednesdays between 2 and 4, I'll be sitting in for Kate and Susie, who are having a well-earned break, and uh, I'll be presenting jazz, blues, western swing, and a couple of specials on women who have made a great contribution to jazz and blues over the last century. And Kate and Susie will be back with you on Wednesday the 13th of February. Until then, enjoy the jazz, blues and western swing. Welcome back to the Dogs Program, Defence of Government Schools, here on 3CR, if you're listening on, on your AM dial or on digital radio or on the www's or even getting us through our website at www.adogs.info. It's good to have your company. Um, look, we're in the beginning of 2019 now, but I, I thought before we kick off into this brand new year, which in all sorts of ways has to be better for so many reasons than the one we just had because it was rubbish, I think we should look back um, because it is the... It is of benefit to historians and humanity in general that we look back and see what problems have arisen in the past so we can avoid them for the future. And um, I'm going to quote extensively from a wonderful article written for the Conversation website by Bronwyn Hintz, who's done a precy of what, in, in her mind, has happened um, in the education sphere over 2018. And um, I'll be asking Jen and Dale if, if they have any ideas as well because I don't want to miss anything out. But I thought, let's just begin... And we'll go across around, around Australia because each state has different issues, each state has different problems, each state has different ways of solving those problems. And I think we'll start not necessarily with Victoria, but we'll start up just north of the border up there in um, the United States of New South Wales where one of their biggest ticket items in 2018 was the overhaul actually of their school curriculum, which we, didn't, we haven't paid much attention to, but it's interesting up there. And it's the first time they've actually overhauled the curriculum in decades. Um, in 2019, they're probably going to roll out a new revised curriculum, but the effect will be far beyond New South Wales borders. There are multiple indications that the reformed curriculum in New South Wales will have a greater focus on capabilities. It's also known as soft skills or 21st century skills, and they include creative and critical thinking. Now, this is fascinating because this is directly opposite of what the federal 
education minister saying. Or yes. Kevin Donnelly. Or indeed Kevin Donnelly, <laughs> who are going, no, they need to read, they need to write, and they need to do arithmetic, three hours, three hours. And they, and they want to pair back the curriculum with all this extraneous stuff. I will notice, of course, that the vast majority, in fact, all of the high fee paying private schools in Australia are not out there advertising how good writings and readings is there. I know they're advertising their sports programs, they're advertising their music programs, they're advertising all the cross-curricular stuff. And it's interesting that New South Wales has taken up on this, and so that's something to watch out into the future. Well, their, their education minister, who is a Liberal minister, Rod Stokes, is quite extraordinary. Here he's written on the 14th of December, and you can refer to this later perhaps, tell our listeners more about it, um, that we should end our neoliberal school testing fixation. Get that? Now, this is yeah. Rob Stokes, yeah. the Liberal Education Minister in New South Wales. Yeah. Yeah. He's finally worked out what everyone else around the world has worked out. The more you test something, the better it doesn't get. <laughs> that is, the more you test something, the better it doesn't get. Um, as I used to say when I used to be a teacher, you know, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth measuring well. Um, that's not true, just by the way. I'm saying that sarcastically, although sarcasm doesn't come across very well on radio. But, but you're saying Rob Stokes, the, federal, the State Education Minister in New South Wales, is saying... No, no, testing's not the answer. And not only that, he is calling it a neoliberal school testing fixation. And this is a liberal... Perhaps he actually might be listening to people, which is more than Mr Morrison and others appear to be doing. Fascinating. It's quite at odds with um, everything else his party suggests. Uh, um, I think up in New South Wales, the public education system is really very... um, it is uh, stronger than it is, say, in Victoria. There's historical reasons for that, yeah, um, going reason. back to Kennet and beyond. But, um, no, I think, Dale, you, you actually make a good point. That for the fact, and I think it's worth saying, that the problems of the Australian education system, like, and the Australian education system does internationally and just absolutely have problems, the problems have become so obvious, the problems have become so bad, that a minister who's responsible for the children, the education of the children in New South Wales, is departing from his party political partisan line because he has to. Now, there's two reasons why politicians do things. The first one is they want to get re-elected. So he's made a decision that he cannot follow a neoliberal educational agenda and get elected. But also, on top of that, he cannot follow a neoliberal education agenda. That is, you know, uh, the devil take the highmost, survival of the fittest, we don't care about the kids who are stupid. You know, that sort of neoliberal, that sort of, you know, marketisation of education across all levels. That approach not only won't get him elected, but it's actually immensely detrimental to our country, our nation of Australia. And in a, in a world where, for all sorts of reasons, you know, and people can say it's good or bad, we are becoming more tribal. He sees that our tribe is going to become less educated than the tribes around us. He might have even seen what happened down here in Victoria, where the Liberal Party, I don't think at any stage during the last state election, mentioned public schools. Not they once. just didn't exist. Not once. They, Mr Guy didn't even notice their existence. And he paid a political price because, didn't he? because Andrews did. It's fascinating. Um, no. And I think it's going to come out in all their silly polliness. But let's cross the border now. Let's, let's go up to Queensland. Let's go even further away from our great state of Victoria. In Queensland, they're actually in the process at the moment of steadily closing the gap in outcomes between Indigenous and non-Indigenous students. Mm. And in Queensland, perhaps more than many other states... About this, time. It's about time. 
Now, they've lost, lost another a plan, or strategic plan, they call it. Strategic plan, by the way, is code for do nothing until next year. Um, they've lost a strategic plan, but notably this includes early childhood education and post-secondary education. So they're topping and tailing it, which is, in fact, to my mind, quite a sensible idea. And, of course, there's additional measures for students in regional and rural areas where obviously most or a lot of, but not all, Indigenous um, students are. And students, of course, with disabilities. Queensland, and I'm sure Jane can tell you, has told you and will tell you again, Queensland has always been an outlier in the education system of Australia. When, when was it that they started sending children to high school in Queensland? Well, they were up with New South Wales and the rest of Australia in 1911, but they fell behind in the 1930s when, with the Gare Labor government um, when they gave state aid to the Catholic schools and um, it wasn't, in fact, until 1942 that you got a second uh, high school in Brisbane. They only had one in Brisbane uh, and it wasn't until 1961 that all children in Queensland were in secondary school. That meant that 90% of the children in Queensland got a very thorough primary school education. I assure you they could read, write and do arithmetic, but they didn't do any history or science or anything further. I I mean, it's history history now, but 1961, decades after the rest of Australia. That was generations. That's correct. It was because the Catholic schools were determined to get their state aid, which they got in 1899 uh, with the scholarship system. Uh, Scholarships were given for secondary education after um, the primary school. And so then we head down to Victoria, where the re-election, um, just a couple of, couple of weeks ago really, of the Andrews government um, back in November, sees the continuation of their education reform agenda. Now the Andrews government at the state election decided to make supporting state schools an election issue. Mm. So the Andrews Labor government for the first time in a generation or more mm. publicly backed the public school system with advertisements and, 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 and with a bit of money. And they, oh, they, they won a landslide election. They also backed the private school system and they've also done an extra special deal with the federal government to make sure everyone gets more money. But that simple thing, that simple thing made a direct contrast between the two major political parties for the first time in Victoria, well, first time in a generation in Victorian in Victorian politics. Um, they're also building and renovating more schools with public-private partnerships, which I think is pretty stupid because you're just setting up debt for the future. But in Victoria, things are looking better than perhaps they are in New South Wales and Queensland. In Western Australia, to go over to the other side of this island, in Western Australia, it's turning its attention to actually better recruitment of teachers and developing and supporting school leaders because they have a problem or have identified a problem with that because they set out in Western Australia several years ago to have independent public schools which is to say state-funded but run separate to the state school system, which they touted as sort of a pseudo-private school process whereby the taxpayer picks up all the bill but it runs as an independent school. They can hire and fire teachers independently. A version of charter schools in the United States, surely. Um, That has now blown back on them and they now have problems recruiting and developing teachers and leaders in those processes. Who wants to work in them? Because who wants to work in them? So Western Australia, that's what's happening over there. In Tasmania... Down there in a little island, we used to have lots of apples on it. In Tasmania, the ongoing implementation of the 2017 Education Act kept schools and department officials busy, in large part due to a giant shift of 13 years of compulsory schooling, PEPTRI 12 by 2020. 
because in Tasmania they have a matriculation system and they are in fact have the, the lowest student retention rate to year 12 of any state in the nation, which is really interesting. And the Northern Territory, of course, doing similar things to the, what they're doing in Queensland because it's also launching a, and I use in quotes, a strategic plan when it comes to curriculum. Strategic plan, of course, means you don't have to do anything till next year. I won't perhaps go into the ACT, but I want to talk to what's been going on at the federal level now in terms of Gonski. Because there's been this Gonski 2.0 thing when the, the Prime Minister before the Prime Minister before... Oh, I've lost count. <laughs> it, was, it was the posh one. Um, I, I've, I've lost their names. The one we have now is the God one, then there was the posh one, and then there was the mad... Anyway, uh, Turnbull, Turnbull. Yeah, sorry, Gonski did, the, the Gonski did a thing for Turnbull. Oh, it's ancient history, isn't it, 2018? Um, now, Gonski was dragged out from underneath the um, <laughs> underneath the, the mansion in which he'd ensconced himself to do another education <laughs> review on the north shore of Sydney. Um, and they basically came to very similar conclusions that they came to before, which is the state school system needs support and you have to have a fair funding basis based upon the need of the students. Now, whether that's true or not, whether that's true or not is arguable, because I think every child, yes, they have individual and special needs, and yes, those needs should be funded, but if someone sends that child into a segregated apartheid education system, then I don't think the money should follow them. Um, in Australia, you can't say that, and Gonski wasn't allowed to, but he did say that the only way you're going to fix the problem of the Australian education system is to give more money to students who need it and less money to students who don't. And that is exactly what has not happened in the Australian education system. I think... I'm going quite quickly because a lot's happened this year. But I think from the point of view of the Gonski thing, I think that is the nuts and bolts of it. They got a report saying give the money to the kids that need it and take it away from the kids that don't. Everyone said, what a good idea. And then they nothing. They didn't do it. And then they didn't do it. Anyway, we'll be back after this. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit! Our education is not for profit! You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. We're having a little review about what went down in 2018. Um, and we've been talking about various states and also the federal sphere. A lot of stuff's gone down. We're probably trying to fit it into one little program, so I'm never going to do it. But I do want to point out that 2018 was the 10th anniversary of NAPLAN. It was the 10th anniversary of national testing. Now, NAPLAN's an interesting thing. Uh, when something's been around for 10 years and it's sort of an idea, it all of a sudden becomes very old. And when something becomes old, it becomes out of fashion. When it becomes out of fashion, people want to change it, which is exactly what's going on. Even though it's been around for 10 years, NAPLAN has now got all these different people from the left and right saying it needs to be either abolished or significantly overhauled. It was intended as a nationally comparable point-by-point data set on a few initial areas to support schools and systems and leaders to make programs and resourcing decisions. It was also meant to inform parental choice of schools. Now, initially, that was not what it was supposed to be for, but now that's what 
It is. MAPLAN has been redesigned and repackaged as a commodity. It is a thing that schools, private schools indeed, can either raise or lower their fees based upon the NAPLAN results. So NAPLAN is 10 years old, and I think in 2019 you're going to see a lot more talk about what is wrong with NAPLAN and what needs to change. Um, now, the updating of the national goals for the Australian schooling by like state and federal governments have been going on all over the place. Uh, Mr Tian, who's the current, I think, national... As this goes to air, he is the current federal education minister. He said that Australia needs a shared agenda across the country to ensure alignment between policy, practice and delivery, and that young people need a quality school education tailored to individual needs. Yes. Yes. Words. Words. But yes. So how do you achieve that is the question. Well, the answer is quite obvious from the point of view of the DOGS program. Um, you stop funding um, people who wish to segregate their children out into, on the basis of religion, gender or sexuality or race or any other reason and you fund only one situation and that is a situation where the education system is free to the child because children shouldn't have to pay for their education. Or the parents. Or indeed the parents, because that's my job as a taxpayer. I'll pay for that, no worries at all. It has to be universal and offensive to none. And, of course, it has to be secular. So, therefore, being not offensive means that it includes no religious instruction within the context of the school, because that's not what it's about. And I'm sure Mr. Team would agree. Reading, writing, arithmetic and, and rod is God. That just, the last one's not important. Now, the only way you can do that is that if there is political pressure to make every school as good as the school next door. And if every school in Australia is not as good as the school next door, then there should be political outcry. If every school is not as good as the school next door, come hell, high world, or or indeed postcode, then that is the problem that we as taxpayers need to solve. That is the responsibility of the ministry. If they can't do it, kick them out. Speaking of which, I now want to talk about a school which is not just as good as a school next door, but it's absolutely, it's, it's a sweet little place. I've been holding, holding our listeners in suspense, I know, but our great state school for this week is one of the most extraordinary schools you're ever likely to come across if you happen to be driving through a little town on the southwest of Victoria called Apollo Bay. <laughs> Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Our great state school of the week this week is Apollo Bay P to twelve. So they got little kids, and they got not kids anymore, almost adults. Peter 12, they got 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, and they've got little 4- and 5-year-olds having all fun together down there at Apollo Bay. Apollo Bay, Peter 12 College, is Victoria's top-performing non-selective state school. So it's not selective. If you live there, you go there. If you go there, that means you live there. Now, to get there, you need to drive almost three hours out of Melbourne and along the windy Great Ocean Road. Um, the Peter 12 College is ranked 18th in the state for its impressive VCE results. So I'm talking about the rankings now of its VCE results. Now, I'm quoting now from an article by Henrietta Cook, and she says that this school pulled off a VCE miracle. Henrietta, sometimes I really love your work, sometimes I don't, but I would say it's not a miracle. They're just kids. They're just being taught by a bunch of teachers who care. 
Now, the student scored a median study score of 36, and 21% of its study scores were 40 or above, which is just brilliant. Achieving the study score of 40 or above places students in the top 9% of the state. So this school is kicking goals. Now, it's a small school. It's a rural school. It has just 16 students enrolled in Year 12. The best results, but actually much, much better than the results of many, many prestigious high-fee schools in the city. Now, the principal, the principal's Tiffany Holt, and she said the key to the school's success was developing strong connections to students and letting the students pursue their interests. She says, we are a small school and know our our students really well. When a student has an interest, we don't let any barriers stand in the way. The school is a five-minute walk from the beach, which teachers and students use... As a classroom. Yeah, yeah, reading and writing arithmetic, Mr. Dent? Don't think so. In sport, students are taught how to surf, because there's a surf. Or they might glide through the ocean on kayaks, if they don't really want to do any surfing. As part of the science curriculum, they study marine life, crabs, fish, and other marine life, lurking in the rock pools. Our school's motto is unique environment, extraordinary opportunities. Jackson Hayat, who's one of the students there, who was happy to speak to the Fairfax media, or should I say the Channel 9 media, um, he said, Earlier this year, the Apollo-based student established his own film company and has been busy making promotional videos for the local festivals and tourist attractions as well as short films for himself. He also hosts a weekly radio program about film on Apollo Bay Radio. Next year, he hopes to study film and television up at Swinburne, up in the, up in the Big Smoke. But he says the best thing about school, the best thing about his school was, yeah, you know it, his teachers. He says, they were really invested in me. I've lived in Apollo my whole life and attended the school since I was four years old. I know all these teachers really well. His classmate, Ella Summers, pursues her love of music through the school, travelling to Geelong for violin lessons. That's, you know, two hours up the road. And she also performs in the local Geelong Orchestra. Now, she got a brilliant VCE. Congratulations. And she said, and I quote, it's been wonderful to grow up in the school. She says, I've also been there since prep. I've known most of my classmates since I was really young. Now, how many kids in this in school? From prep to year 12, there's 280. Ms Holt, the principal, says an increasing number of sea changers are moving into the area and enrolling their children in the local school. So let me tell you, I mean, that's the kids, that's what it's all about. I, hearing, it, hearing them talk about it, it's much more interesting than hearing me talk about it, but I'll tell you, how much does all this cost, okay? It's in the country, it's a small school, You've got teachers teaching prep, and they're also doing VCE, and doing VCE so well that it's it's the best non-selective state school in the end. How much is that going to cost per student? Now, I keep saying this. On average, if you had an average Australian secondary school student, you'd be paying about $15,000 a year to educate that child. Now, these kids, it's a small school, so you'd expect it to be more. It's out in the region, so you'd expect it to be more. But educating these kids, $15,000 a year per kid. That is is a bargain, as far as I'm concerned. Remarkable, quite remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Now, when we talk about the sort of NAPLAN results and stuff like that, well, their NAPLAN results, they're just good. So not just not just the Year 12 students and stuff like that, their NAPLAN results across the board for their Grade 3s and their Grade 5s and their Grade 9s and their Grade 7s, all above the board because the teachers know the kids, which is absolutely brilliant. Now, who are these kids? Are they rich kids? You know, because everyone knows that if you're rich, you know, you live in a rich postcode, you're going to get a better education. Are they poor? Um, average X year value for Australian kids is 1,000. Average X year value for these kids, 1,000. 
they are in the middle of Australia, in the middle of the bush, and they're doing so well. So I have to say, without a doubt, it's really nice to start off 2019 like this, but our great state school just for this week is Apollo Bay, Peter 12. Congratulations, guys. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great relationships with each other, with teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Finishing on something as wonderful as talking about wonderful kids in a wonderful school down a wonderful place called Apollo Bay. Oh my goodness, I think I think if you've got any sense, you'd move down there because property values are going going up down there. I tell you, because everyone knows a good state school makes you makes your place worth more. No, I'm being cynical. Look, it's been great to have your company in 2019. We're going to have to continue to be here because the dogs are needed, because government schools still need defending. We are the DOGS, the Defenders of Government Schools, into 2019. But to our regular listeners, I'd like to say a Happy New Year. Welcome to 2019. Yes, and I'd just like to say for all those people who wish the dogs well, um, well, we're... We're sorry to disappoint you in the year just gone by. We, we, we didn't fix all the problems. But for all those who wish us ill, for all those who, who fight against what we fight for, um, I, I'm, I'm assuming that you're going to be disappointed in 2019 because as far as we're concerned, the fight is growing and it's not just us. We used to be little outliers here on 3CR Community Radio, but we get a lot of people wanting to come on our show and the ideas we're talking about are pretty much mainstream. Um, I wish our political parties would sort of wake up to that as well. But... If you are want to investigate us, if you want to say, oh, what Robert said wasn't quite true, you can fact check us, of course, and you can check everything we do, certainly our press releases, um, on our website, www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Because we're going to have to be around to keep the fight going. So from Jean and myself and Dale here at the Dogs Program, it's a very happy 2019, the years to come, and we hope your last year was all right too. Um, but until next week, it's bye for now. Bye for now.
wondered about the meaning of the terms identity politics, intersectionality, turf or institutional racism? Same here. This summer, Tuesday Breakfast is going back to school to answer these questions and more. Join us as we learn from experts, academics, writers, activists and people with lived experiences to share their knowledge on decolonisation, sovereignty and self-determination, race and identity, sexuality and gender, and disability and accessibility. Knowledge shouldn't be locked away at a university, so let us bring it to you. Tune in to Summer School, Tuesday mornings from 7am, starting the 8th of January, 855am or via 3cr.org.au. And check out our Instagram, 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, for more details. Just 